Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, a new report out with the staggering job loss figures as a result of COVID-19. How has COVID-19 affected the CFL? Do they deserve some money? And how do you feel about sending your kids back to school? Yes? No? Maybe? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Some very uh, disturbing job numbers coming out uh, today. Uh, that being said, we've talked to Marvin Ryder about this before. This is all pre- has been predicted and uh, is predicting another month, I'm sure, next month. Uh, once the numbers come out uh, for this month, will be uh, just as grim. Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor to Group School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. Glad to be with you in your home. And yours as well. Are you at the school today? I'm at home. I'm at home. home. You're at home still. All right. So uh, let's talk about this. You did yep. predict this and, and, and did say that even the next one will perhaps be more grim. How do you interpret this? What do you expect uh, us to take away from all of this? Well, let me, let me shock you a little bit by saying this was not as grim as I thought it was going to be. Yes, this is terrible news that the unemployment rate in Canada has reached 13%. Uh, it's uh, not the highest in recent history. It was just marginally higher in 1982 for a month, but certainly this is certainly not good news. I actually thought it was going to be between 15 and 20 percent, and if you read the Statistics Canada report, they note that they left out of the data one million people who just were not looking for work. Therefore, they can't be considered employable they were basically furloughed, and they said, I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and mind my own business. If you throw them into the mix, the unemployment rate is actually 17.8%, which was in the middle of the range I thought it was going to be. So it's clearly bad news, but as Stats Canada pointed out several times in their report, it's unprecedented because this isn't people losing their jobs because of a bank failure. It's not losing the jobs because of problems in the real estate market. They are truly being furloughed, and the whole intention of the furlough is for it to be temporary. This data was collected April 12th to 16th. Uh, A similar time will be coming up in May between Mother's Day and the long weekend. And because we're beginning to see some signs of the economy reopen, actually April's numbers might be the worst this year, and they might get marginally better in May and even a little bit better in June. So you're seeing the worst of it right now. So you said earlier that this wasn't as grim as you thought. Is that because those people stopped looking or that just this this had less of an impact than what you thought? Well, what we don't know yet, and Stats Canada can't comment on, is the Canadian Emergency Wage Subsidy. You Remember that this was uh, uh, proposed by the federal government as a way to keep people on the payroll, even if you didn't have work for them to do, and that the government would say, we'll pick, cover some of their pay, but leave them on the payroll so they don't go through the stress of being unemployed. And I'm wondering if why this isn't as bad as it was, was the impact of the CEWS, that that wage subsidy didn't see people lose their jobs, even if they were underemployed. And that was another thing their study showed, uh, 25% reduction in hours worked. Uh, uh, oddly enough, the average worker made more money than they did the month before because most of the job losses have been the lowest paid jobs. Uh, the Prime Minister announcing uh, the wage subsidy extension beyond June. I think we have a clip of that. Here's what the Prime Minister said this morning. But to businesses hit by COVID-19, know this. The wage subsidy will continue to be there for you to help you keep your employees on the payroll. So fill out the application at Canada.ca 
if you haven't already done so. And if you had to let people go, try to bring them back. It's those workers who will drive our economy's short and long-term recovery. On other support, the Canada Emergency Business Account has been accessed by well over half a million businesses to give them much-needed loans. Between the SIBA and the wage subsidy, we're helping employers across the country keep Canadians on the job. Our focus will be on the workers, on uh, the supply chains that involve many, many small businesses across this country for many of these industries, and not on uh, the corporate well-being of an industry or of a, of a sector, but indeed staying focused on helping Canadians, because it is Canadians who are at the heart of our economic success, at the heart of our success as a country, and as a government, we will always stay focused on them. Marvin Ryder is with us, business professor to Group School of Business at McMaster. Uh, your thoughts on the wage subsidy being extended through June, Marvin? Well, I'm sure that the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister are hearing from lots of small businesses that they're, they're still in really bad shape. Thank you for all the things you've given us so far, but we're still not sure we can get through all of this. So I think the bottom line is removing the supports from those smaller businesses too early could be a death knell, and nobody wants these unemployment numbers to become permanent. So the marginal cost of extending it for another four weeks, eight weeks, and remember that all he said he was extending it, we don't have any details, those are going to be announced next week, and then those two will have to be voted on by Parliament. But I think that's the message, is don't pull the supports too quickly, or the recovery could falter, and, and the marginal cost to extend it for four to eight weeks is not that much compared to the other side of it, which is these unemployment numbers become permanent. We were talking about uh, these new unemployment numbers and then what they could be uh, next month. That being said, Marvin, we're certainly seeing uh, the country start to reopen up again. When will we start to see that reflected in some of these numbers? Uh, well, they will be in May's numbers. So uh, Stats Canada hasn't gathered any May data yet. They typically gather around the 15th of the month. And so Mother's Day Sunday is May the 10th. The following weekend, uh, May 16th to 18th, is the uh, Victoria Day weekend, and so somewhere between those two, if we'll call them holidays, that's when they'll start gathering data for May. And since the economy is reopening, yes, I think the numbers next month will be marginally better. I don't think we'll be under double digits. So in other words, we'll go from 13% unemployment maybe to 12, 11 and a half, uh, still pretty bad. But this is the sign of those green shoots of an economic recovery. Hopefully, June, we can get below the double digits, maybe to eight and a half, nine percent, and then July should get better. So that we're starting to go down that slope. Uh, many have said that uh, many leaders have said that once uh, this is all over and the economies start to get some traction, that they're going to take off. Is this accurate? Or are we going to see just as slow a climb there as we are uh, things opening and reopening up? Are people going to want to get out there yeah. and, uh, and be as active? Yeah, there's a couple of good questions in there. It was much easier to shut the economy down than it is to restart it, and it is going to be a slow process. Expect a, a six- to eight-week process. The last industries to open, by the way, are those that where social distancing will be the hardest. Take an airline. I just don't know how you put everybody onto a plane and keep everybody socially distant. Uh, filling, flying half-full airplanes doesn't work 
you need them to be fuller unless you double the rates and nobody wants to pay double the rates to fly. So uh, the fear factor, the other question you raise, will consumers, when I give them the all clear, go back to a restaurant, go back to a retail store? On that front, we're actually watching the Americans who have opened far more quickly and far more broadly and there we're watching consumers flock back to stores. So the fear factor, at least in the United States, doesn't seem to be as great. But we're Canadians. It might be different here. But it, it will take some time for us to, to bounce back. It will be a slow and steady recovery. I, I don't think we can get back to anything we'll call normal, at least until the fall. But the other little wrinkle to all this and the caveat I have to give everybody about recovery is it all assumes no second wave. And clearly... As we yeah. crack the door open, we have to monitor, we have to test, we have to watch. And if at some point numbers start going in the wrong direction, it'll be a case of two steps forward and maybe a step back or even two steps back because we just do not want to go through all of this and have a second wave. Assuming no second wave, yes, I think we're looking at a six-month recovery process. Uh, how concerned should we be uh, with these numbers that we're seeing today and we're probably going to see next month again? Um, come fall, come late summer, are, are these an anomaly? Are these just you know the obvious results of shutting down an economy? And as we slowly torque it back up, we've hit bottom, we're going to come back up? Yeah, I, I actually think probably the smartest thing one can do is, is uh, just tune them out um, this isn't a classic recession. Now, we are in a recession. I want to be clear about that. We are in a recession. First quarter this year, the economy shrank. April was a bad month. May is not going to be a good month. There's no doubt about it. We're going to have our two quarters of, of the GDP shrinking. But this is not a recession because it's not being caused by economic factors. It's being caused by health factors and governmental policy around those health factors. I, we need a new word for what we're going through here, and I haven't invented it yet. I'll work on that. But we need something, this pause that we're creating. Therefore, I don't think you should be surprised. It is actually what we planned for as we went through this. And if, you're, if you get panicked about these things, if you can tune this off just a little bit, I think this will probably be your best thing to do. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at a group school of business, McMaster University, talking about Canada's job numbers today. Marvin, thank you so much for the time. Have a great weekend. Be well. Will do. Thank you. CFL has asked the House of Commons for assistance when it comes to the pandemic uh, in order to get them through this year's football season. Uh, the commissioner for the league uh, that said the 2020 season is likely to be canceled and the fate of the league is uncertain. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spec. You get him? <laughs> you know, we I think he was in the uh, attic. I think that's where he was. Anyway, host of the Scott Radley Show, uh, sports columnist for the Hamilton Spec. Uh, he is with us now. Scott, are you there? I am here, Scott. How are you? What, you must have gone out. I'm going fine, thank you. How are you, how are you doing through all of this pandemic? Were you out in the backyard there for a minute? I, I, I'm not. Have you noticed it's snowing outside? I, I, I'm not nuts enough to have to be outside today. I'll. Uh, it's freezing. You know, it's freezing. This is stupid. It's my wife's birthday, and usually we're out enjoying it, and it's not today. But, uh, hey, at least we're together by fighting, not even by choice, although we would have chosen, but, yeah, we're together. <laughs> well, this is fascinating because my wife has uh, celebrated her birthday last month uh, in, uh, in isolation. So what are the big plans for Mrs. Radley? And please pass on our uh, happy birthday wishes to her. What are you guys doing to celebrate her birthday while, while in isolation? Uh, let's see. It'll be something in the house together. Um, and when work is done today, we'll all figure that out. 
but it's, uh, I'm telling you, this, this self-quarantining, if nothing else, uh, I think is, is a great test of how well you chose your spouse. Because yes. by this point, um, if you're still happily in the house and getting along and everything, man, you chose well. And if not, well, I imagine this has probably been a tough time. Although, you know, I had this conversation with my uh, wife uh, uh, just a few minutes ago because we had a little blow up earlier on in the week. And I think a lot of people are getting to their breaking point right now. So it's about this time where people are having that, Rah! and then they'll reel it back in. All right, everybody calm down. But we're sort of uh, at that time with eight weeks. Uh, is eight weeks the magical cutoff for the uh, for I, don't the I don't know. That's just what it's been for me. We took eight weeks to snap. <laughs> Some and then everybody the just year. went nuts. Some people have the seven-year itch, and then we have the eight-week snap. The, exactly. All right. Uh, you and I have a habit of not, never getting onto the topic, or if we do, exactly. it's very late. So let's get to it. Uh, what's the story with the CFL? Uh, is there, ask, a legitimate one? Well, this is really hard. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this a bit, Scott, to be honest. So uh, I assume most people know that Randy Ambrosi is the commissioner of the league went to a commons committee by video yesterday and asked for a grant of whatever you want to call it from the government, federal government of somewhere between 30 million and 150 million to keep the CFL going. And we knew this going in. We heard this last week that this was going to happen. 30 million now. And then depending on how things play out, we may need up to 150 million. Well, yesterday when he was at this commons committee, you're talking to them. The part that came out that was new was, the CFL, um, this could be dire times. The future of the league is now riding on this. So first of all, he said there's probably not going to be a 2020 season, and the future of the league is riding on, I guess, the fact that there's no season potentially and then this money that may or may not come. So to your question, though, Scott, here's the, here's the part that I'm struggling with. The CFL right now pays its players on a week-to-week basis. And so if there's two different positions here. If Randy Ambrosi is saying, we are going to try and play our games, so we have to pay our players. But because of social distancing and everything else, and it's such a gate-driven league that we can't have fans in the stands, I then look at this and go, yes, I understand how that could be a huge problem. You're talking about millions of dollars in losses. But if you're not going to play the season, therefore you probably are not going to pay your players. Why do we need $30 million? I know there are employees of the league and there are some other expenses, but three of the teams made uh, apparently seven-figure profits last year, the public teams. And other teams have owners who are not impoverished people. And so if you don't have to pay players, why such a big amount of money? Because seemingly you'd be saving money then, especially when he said, that yearly the league as a group is losing something in the neighborhood of $20 million. So, I, I mean, my logic, I'm following this going, wait a second, so if you're not paying your players and you're not playing games, you may actually be saving money. How, how do we get to the point where the league will be dead? Now, I think out of, out of mind would be a big problem. There's no question. And also, if you don't pay your players, even if you're not playing games, do they sue you for breach of contract? Do they... What is the players' union? I mean, look, it's it's a complicated situation. It's just, it really has not been explained nearly well enough at this point is is the long way to get to that. 
Um, obviously, government in a uh, a mood to hand out money. Uh, league feeling maybe we should be getting our share if they are, for example, handing stuff out to the arts. Uh, yeah, and I and I don't have a problem. I never have had a problem with uh, sports teams, even professional teams, having some help from government for that very reason. Uh, we give money to art galleries, and no one seems to have a problem. We give money to symphony orchestras. And I, I don't see really the difference. These are luxury items in a society. And if we're going to help one, I see no problem. Not, not a bottomless pit. But, you know, if, if the government's going to help to some degree, I'm okay with that. But, again, I think the case has to be made here about what, why do you need this But Explain how you're anticipating if there's no season. How are you? Uh, where is this money going to? Is it going to players? Are you still? Are you pr- suggesting that maybe he is that you're still going to pay your players' contracts even if they can't play football? Maybe. And if that's the case, say that. Well, and what about what about just the idea that you know they're, they're they're obviously running such a lean machine, or some of them are. And let's be honest about that. As you pointed out, some are aren't needing this assistance as much as others. I would guess. Um, you know, but but at the end of the day, uh, even if they are not running the games, they, they still say that they depend on seats in order to make that margin for them. Seat sales, they're not having that. They're going to have to refund, uh, I'm sure, season's tickets and, and such. So uh, is there not a need? Can, can this league just shut the lights out for a year and come out the other end without any revenue? And, and see, we don't know. We don't know. And um, I think at some point, if you're going to go to the people, and really, I mean, the government is the people. If you're going to go to the government, the people, and ask for people's money, taxpayers' money, I think you're going to have to go public and give an in-depth explanation for what is the money you're looking for. Where is the money going? And even some of the politicians yesterday were saying, "Where, where's the representative from the Players Association here? Like, is this money going to players? Is it going into the... Where's it going? And and there's just so many questions. And I, I just think surprised they weren't more pre- surprised they weren't more prepared before they went before these people. You know, uh, Rick Zamperin and myself and Steve Milton and Bubba O'Neill do a little YouTube channel called Home Games, and it'll be up soon. And we were talking about this today, and I would encourage people to go watch it because it's 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 fantastic. But anyway, um, but one of the that's a great idea. Yeah, well, you know what? We're talking all kinds of sports stuff, and um, those guys are great. So I thought we'd let's, let's get them together and, and talk. But this very question came up in what we talked about this morning, and that is like the preparation and where were the players? I think Randy Ambrosian, we all agreed on this one, made a significant error going to government by himself because you're in a you're in a partnership with the players. The players really are the league. And it, it, when you listened to the politicians' questions, many of the questions were about the players. And so, I, look, I, I don't know whether it was a lack of preparation. I don't know whether it was a lack of anticipating what the questions would be. I don't know if it's just not knowing the answers himself at this point because this is a moving target. But it, when you read how this thing went and you, you follow how this this meeting with it, it doesn't sound like he arrived to trumpets and uh, the heavenly host welcoming with open arms i mean he got a rough ride from some of these politicians and you know maybe that's just because the ask was enormous 
$150 million is, look, that, that, that fund that they're trying to tap into is a $500 million fund for all kinds of arts and culture and everything else. If the CFL gets $150 million, that leaves 350 for everything else across the entire country. And if you can't, in my mind, lay out very specifically exactly why that money yeah. is needed, that is going to be a really hard sell. And you made the point, Scott. Every other arts, culture, sports group is going to look at this and say, wait a second, we need it too. Why is it only going to one place? The CFL, I agree, the CFL absolutely has a significant part in the Canadian culture, but it's not the mm -hmm. only part of Canadian culture. And you bring up a valid point, too. How do you come to that figure without itemizing everything and then just handing that to them? And so you've got this conundrum now, in a sense, that you have a league that has private owners. So you've got public owners, and their money, because they're public groups, their finances are public, but you've got private owners who probably don't want to open up all their books they never have before for scrutiny. But if you're going to ask for all kinds of public money, are you going to have to do that at some point? Or else just say, well, look, Scott, if I, if I had all kinds of money, which I don't, and you came to me and said, I'm desperate, I really need you to give me some money. Now, I would do it for you because I'm a friend. To a small degree, the money, I mean, not the friendship. But, <laughs> but, if I, but if I didn't know you all that well or I wasn't familiar with what your situation was, I would probably, if I was a bank, let's say, I would probably say, well, you're going to have to show me what your situation is. And if your answer is, trust me, we're re I'm really in bad shape, trust me, and I need X amount of money and it's a huge thing, I I'm not sure that when, even though you're right, what you said a moment ago, the government may be seemingly in a mood to be giving out money. I'm not sure the government is in a mood to give out whatever money anybody asks for. You're still going to have to, I think, at some point, if it's a gigantic ask, lay out what the reasons are for that amount and show something that they may not want to show right now. But I'm not positive, Scott. I'm not really confident that the Canadian government is just going to say, oh, you need it? It's the CFL, it's the Grey Cup, it's culture. Yeah, sure, here's $150 million. Knock yourself out. I, I, just, I don't see that happening. So how do you see this season unfolding? Will we see an abbreviated version? Will we see no season? And another question, here's my follow-up. Uh, Grey Cup, what does this do to the Grey Cup schedule? If there is no season this year, does, do they just go to the following year? Or do they just bump everything back? Okay, so the first one is, uh, it's a really hard thing to know because uh, the biggest issue, well, there's two issues. One is crowd. Can you put people in the stands? The CFL has to have fans in the stands. It can't operate just on its TV deal. It doesn't have a big enough TV deal. But also, roughly half of your players are American. Can they even come into the country to play right now? Like, we don't know how this is going to work yet that way. So there's the first issue. Uh, the second part, I would think, so the CFL generally gives out the Grey Cup like a year or two in advance. This year they gave out two, or last year they gave out two. They gave yeah. out Regina for this coming season, and then Hamilton is the one after. I think what you would expect is that if they can't play this year, they're not going to do the bump back because Hamilton's already selling its Grey Cup in 2021, assuming, again, there's a season. Um, Hamilton, I think, would still have the 2021 Grey Cup, and Regina would just... Get leapfrog after. over them and get 2022, yeah. and then they'll deal with it from there. 
All right, Scott Radley has been with us, sports columnist for your Hamilton Spectator and, of course, host of the Scott Radley Show. Have her heard every weeknight right here on CHML, and I am still waiting for my invitation to join that show. He's always on mine. He never asked me to come on his. You have I yourself a great weekend. You. I'll be talking to you after your show today, and you just got yourself a book. <laughs> oh, yeah, what have I done here? Uh, say happy done? birthday to your wife for us and have a great weekend. I will, and Home Games Hamilton. Look on YouTube, Home Games Hamilton. Yeah, give that a plug, Home Games Hamilton. Yeah, Yeah, that's a cool, very cool idea, you guys. Good for you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Let's talk about uh, the situation at hand in COVID-19, and many are starting to talk about holding China accountable for the chaos they have created in the world. Uh, Conservative leadership candidate Peter McKay says that the Magnitsky Act should be, uh, Magnitsky Law rather, should be used against China. What is that? Let's bring in Gordon Holden, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. He is with us now. Gordon, thank Thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. Thank you, Scott. So what is this act? What is the Magnitsky Act? The Magnitsky Act, named after a, a Russian um, activist and, and, and journalist who was uh, a lawyer, who was um, uh, arrested, tortured, and eventually died in prison because of his successful efforts to uh, unveil uh, tax fraud and tax uh, illegal tax uh, actions by the oligarchs and the dominant players in Russia. And this created a, an American version of the Mexican Act, and there's a Canadian one as well. And it's meant to go after officials who were involved, have been involved in uh, human rights suppression, uh, gross violations of human rights. And the Canadian legislation bears the same name as the American legislation honoring this Russian who died uh, after being tortured. Is that appropriate uh, at this time? Is this the appropriate measure? Well, I have, I have a few misgivings. And, and to make it clear, I have great respect for Peter McKay, who has um, advocated this, uh, and others have done so. Um, I accompanied him on his first trip to Beijing when he was foreign minister, and I was then director general of the East Asia Bureau. Um, but I'm not, I think this may be putting the cart before the horse. I think we're not... We don't know yet enough. And I think what's really needed, and which Peter McKay has also called for and others, is an international inquiry by top experts, uh, people who uh, can operate in China, people who know the virologists and who are uh, first-class scientists. Let's get to the bottom of where did it originate, what were the Chinese actions, and, and make those judgments before, in effect, putting the punishment or talking about the punishment before we've even done the inquiry, because you will need some Chinese cooperation to get there, to get visas, and to be able to unearth what's happened, to talk to Chinese experts. So to me, it's not that it's utterly unwarranted. I think it's still premature. Uh, what about how we have been responding to this whole situation? Uh, the Prime Minister was asked this morning why he or the Minister prior to him didn't mention about masks coming in from Taiwan, which we know the situation between Taiwan and China can be uh, can be quite tenuous at times. Are we coddling China? Is Many have accused the Prime Minister of, of more interested in a UN seat than actually uh, uh, calling China out on this. What's your position? What are your thoughts? And, and well, do we have that, options uh, here? It's hugely tempting to always do what feels right, and I think that's why 
journalism, and, and your program is a great example that call shots is, uh, and and where the the chips fall doesn't really matter. That's the right thing to do. I do note that the government prime minister very cautious in avoiding direct criticism of Donald Trump because they know he's thin-skinned and will probably retaliate. And they've done mm. the same with China as well, probably for the same sorts of reasons. To me, there has to be a balance. Um, I am pleased that the Prime Minister did mention Taiwan when challenged on that point today and thanked Taiwan by name. I think that's appropriate. If they've sent half a million masks here, they deserve why is that such that. a contentious why is that such a contentious issue gordon why would that how would china rev- look at that well chinese embassy i can guarantee you i will not be happy and their foreign ministry will not be happy that taiwan is mentioned per name uh, by name without saying it's a province of china etc china's got a very rigid position on taiwan it sees it as quote an unalienable inal- inal- in- inal- part of the chinese mainland of the chinese of the people's republic of china and and won't brook any disagreement on that. But the reality is that Taiwan, where I've lived as a Canadian representative, is a de facto independent uh, state, not de jure, not legally, but in reality. And if they give us half a million masks, I think acknowledge it is just a simple right thing to do. And I guess my my position would be in all of this is let's put the, the emphasis on fighting the virus and put at least the time being some of the politics aside, anti-China, pro-China, pro-Taiwan, anti-Taiwan, let's just focus on what needs to be done internationally. Uh, and, of course, there is, there should be time found what happened and dig into that. Who's to blame? Who could have acted better? But I suspect when we do that, we'll find China wasn't the only one dragging their feet. I have an impression that other countries, plural, um, were also slow to use the time available to prepare properly. So there's lots of blame to share. Let's focus on on this wretched virus. Uh, Donald Trump, we've talked about this before, him perhaps muddying the waters uh, in this discussion that you're talking about uh, for political reasons. Why is Donald Trump selling uh, the lab story that this originated or could have originated in a lab in Wuhan, as opposed to coming from the wet market, the wet wildlife markets uh, or market near Wuhan. Does it matter if it came from the Wuhan market or a lab that was studying the Wuhan market? Does that matter? Why is this a big point? I think it, I think it matters in one sense, in that if you're a lab, and we have one in Winnipeg that's sort of level four lab that handles the most dangerous pathogens, things like smallpox, et cetera, uh, if if it came from the lab, it would show gross incompetence and, and, and it would certainly heighten the responsibility of the Chinese government. If it emerged spontaneously in a cave, in a market, from animal to human, uh, without being from a lab, I think that reduces somewhat the Chinese responsibility. It doesn't necessarily deal with the issue of how quickly they let the world know about it, but I think that is a, a factor. From what I can see and read, and again, I don't have access any longer to intelligence. There isn't a hard case at all that this came from a lab. Um, mm. But we need to get those answers. And to get those answers, we need to collaborate with the Chinese. We need to work with them. Why is Donald Trump doing this? He's got an election in November. And yeah. there's a bipartisan view in the U.S., Democrats and Republicans. Let's go after China. It's popular politically. I understand that. I think that's the motivation. Uh, does that cloud the discussion? 
And will that will that cloud the discussion in holding China accountable when this is over? I think it does. And China understands the U.S. system well enough to know that is the case. Of course, Donald Trump wants to, for reasons I also understand, to have his cake and eat it too. So the same day today that uh, there are these calls for action against China based on the lab story or about just based on, on hiding the virus, uh, there also has been discussion today between senior White House officials and the Chinese about what to do about the trade deal, how to revive it, etc. Because the president also knows that he has to have a relatively strong or recovering economy to win re-election. So, and China is a part of that. So it's a very difficult balance there. China hasn't used the Menexiac against, against China. Some people in Senate uh, are talking about or tabled legislation. They'll go after China on the basis of COVID-19, but it's not yet U.S. policy. It's not yet U.S. law. And at the same time that China, that U.S. is threatening this, they're in talks uh, with the Chinese about how to deal with a trade deal. So it's, it's complex, domestic, and foreign considerations in play. Gordon Holden has been with us, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. Gordon, as always, thank you so much for the time and insight. Have a great weekend. Be well. Same to you. Be healthy. Thank you, Scott. Cheers. We're going to continue on here uh, as we head into the Mother's Day weekend. Of course, uh, uh, the province announcing that they are relaxing some of uh, the restrictions that have been put in place, uh, including uh, starting on Monday, retail spaces that have their own entrance, their own separate entrance, uh, can, and can uh, commit to curbside pickup will open up. Uh, tomorrow, it's hardware and those sorts of facilities. Today, the expansion of uh, the garden centers uh, and such opening up today. Uh, we're also hearing great news from the city of Hamilton in regard to the Waterfront Trail. To talk more about all of this, Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us, City of Hamilton, and he's on the line now. Mayor, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. Doing well, Scott. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing fine, thank you. So, information uh, here. Tell us what is open. Well, so we announced today, as of tomorrow, the uh, the waterfront trails and parking lots will be open, both uh, the Bayfront Trail and the uh, the Lake Ontario Trail. Uh, the, so, up until now, you know, the parks have been open, but the parking lots have not. So, we we've encouraged people that were you know living locally, let's say in the McQuesten Park, to uh, you know walk there, but no, don't drive there. Well, now you can drive there, and uh, but uh, at the same time, we're asking you to be smart about this and make sure that you're maintaining two meter or six six feet uh, physical distancing, and uh, take all the protections precautions that you would normally take uh, when you're out in the community at large or at the grocery store, and uh, keep doing that as long as that virus is out there. So I'm delighted to say, folks, get out there and enjoy the uh, great outdoors, and everybody wants to be at the waterfront, and uh, that's been a a challenge, and uh, I'm going to be going there myself because I'm, uh, you know, it's my favorite place to be. But we need to make sure that we we put uh, the, the appropriate precautions in place. So maintain that physical distancing. Don't get into crowds. Uh, crowds of uh, or people, uh, families of five or less can go and picnic. Anything more than that, uh, you're you're going to get some. You're going to have some problems. Uh, and it's all about still, you know, getting relaxing some of the rules, but 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 giving people a sense that this virus is still very much out there and you need to be protective in terms of how you do this. Why is this happening now? What goes into the uh, this decision process, Mayor? 
Well, it's the, the public health has, uh, and, and the province, in fact, both public health divisions have said that the, the doubling time for the virus community spread has, uh, has significantly elongated. So it's, it's not happening as quickly as it happened before. Uh, I think we're in Hamilton, we're like 50 days if you do the data calculation. So there's a sense that, uh, that uh, you know, things can relax a little bit. There's also a sense that people understand the, the rationale around why they need to maintain that physical distance. So earlier on, we had to educate people, and, uh, and the, the best way to do that was to prevent people from having that intimate contact to stop the spread. And at the same time, uh, do a full closure so people would come to understand that, that this is the kind of environment that we may need to uh, go to should this virus continue to spread into the future. And so I think those lessons have been learned. I think the public at large understands why this was important. They also understand that even though things are opening up, it's not the same old, same old. Uh, you can't, uh, you know, organize a pic- picnic of 10 people at the park and uh, have them gathered up from all different sectors of the city. The potential of, uh, you know, a virus spread increases exponentially when that happens. So limit the uh, the numbers to five and under, uh, hopefully all in one family, and uh, and maintain that physical uh, physical distancing so that uh, we cannot lose all the good ground that we've gained uh, by virtually of shutting down just about everything that we have other than grocery stores and pharmacies. So I, I think uh, progress has been made, and I think at some point uh, people need to uh, Build this into their daily lives for, you know, certainly the next long while. So maybe it's uh, better to attack as well what isn't open yet, because obviously the trails open, the waterfront trail, the parks are open, but those facilities are still closed. Like for example, Albion Falls is closed. So, so maybe we should go at it from that angle as well. Where can we stop here? Yeah, let me, let me, add, let me add that the uh, conservation authorities also announced that they're opening up their trails as well. Uh, but the facility. So by virtue of the provincial order, all the play structures, tennis courts, golf courses still, uh, swings, uh, you know, all the facilities and amenities that are on the park itself uh, are all still closed. So the park is open. Mm-hmm. The trails are open. Parking lots are open. People can get access to these locations. But all the amenities in the park are closed. And that not, is not because of the city's order. It's because of the provincial order. And uh, the one with the province... Uh, it gives us an indication that we can relax that too. Of course, we will, but that hasn't happened yet. So as of as of now, you can uh, you can enjoy all of these facilities, but the bathrooms will not be open uh, at the waterfront trail. Just be aware of that. Uh, nor nor will they be at the Queston Park, Albion Falls, and uh, Devil's Punch Bowl, and some of the other you know high traffic locations that have been problems prior to the pandemic, uh, and still even even now. Uh, are still closed, and those parking lots will remain closed. And that is because we, we are attracting an awful lot of people from out of town to come to these locations. That was happening before, and it's still happening now. Uh, we want to prevent that kind of uh, group gathering. And so uh, those locations are going to remain closed until such time as uh, as we get another order from the province saying we can relax those too. So what are you anticipating this weekend? Any chatter with the bylaw people? Uh, you know, I mean, this could go all very well as planned, or who knows, it might get out of hand. What are you anticipating here? Uh, now, I guess the good thing sort of is it's kind of cooler uh, this weekend, but but are you anticipating more uh, action from bylaw and such because they're, they've got to monitor this now? Uh, I, I think they're going to monitor, and you know they're not going to be you know visiting every site uh, to see if if people are you know doing what they're they're asked to do. So far, the lion's 
share of the, the population has done exactly what we've asked them to do. Uh, I have, I see no reason why that won't continue. Uh, they've been uh, very understanding of why this is necessary. Most of the people, I mean, there are always a few that say the heck with it. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to bother. And those are the folks that, uh, you know, are, are potentially putting themselves or others at risk. So, I, I, I expect that the population at large will be uh, very happy to get access to these trails again, especially the waterfront trails and the bayfront trail and the uh, Conservation Authority trails. But be smart about it, and I think they know why that's important. Uh, it's important because the virus is still very much out there, and one, one can have no symptoms at all and still be a carrier of this virus. So if intimate contact with anyone outside of your family is going to be a particular challenge, and, and that then can lead to you know, a further spread in our community. So, so far, people have been going to the grocery stores, and things have worked out all right. Physical separation has uh, worked out just fine at the pharmacies. Uh, people are doing exactly what they're asked to do. I have no doubt that they will do exactly what uh, what is required to protect themselves and to protect others. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day, self-protection. And I would say to, to, to older folks that are, uh, you know, more susceptible to this, uh, you might want to think about uh, whether you do go there at all. Uh, if you have underlying health issues, it's probably a no-go for you. Don't take the chance. Uh, and, and for those that are healthy and well, just maintain that physical separation. Wash your hands before. Wash your hands after, uh, to ensure that we're not uh, we're not uh, in any way, shape, or form spreading that virus to anyone else, or or sharing sharing it with anyone else, or, or having it shared with us. And so um, I think people will get that. I think uh, our bylaw will be out there, but they're not. Uh, you know, they're looking for compliance. They're not looking to to issue fines. And only the most, uh, you know, egregious and belligerent ones uh, are the ones that uh, that end up with a fine in their pockets. And, and there's no reason for that. Uh, you know, most people are quite understanding and uh, sometimes just forget and just need to be reminded. Another big day for small business on Monday when uh, those with separate entrances get to open up for curbside pickup and such. How important is that, especially to uh, the the businesses in the inner city and such? This must be great news. I would think so. And you know what? Uh, for them, I mean, it's been an ongoing challenge as we go. I think many many of the businesses uh, might have been, uh, you know, doing some some online sales as it is. And so uh, this is just a step in the right direction. It's not a full opening. It doesn't allow, the, you know, for people to get into the store and, uh, you know, shop around as they normally would. But people can order and people can pick up. And I think that's a, 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 a good sign that uh, that things are trending the right way and at some point, that, uh, you know, the rules will relax even more when we get to the different phases. That allows people in a safe way to to get access to, to their favorite stores in, in our community. Having said that, you know, all of those locations, and I think this is why this is happening, are going to have to prepare for protective equipment and protective shields at the cash registers, not unlike what they're doing at the grocery store or the pharmacy. They're going to have to prepare for customers that uh, need to maintain spatial separation, so limited amount of people inside the building at any one time. And waiting outside might happen as well in terms of uh, if there's too many people that they have to maintain that physical separation outside. So I think those are all realities with what, uh, what opening stores down the road looks like, but uh, this is certainly a good beginning. 
Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been with us, Mayor for the City of Hamilton. And good news, the parks are opening up this weekend. Hamilton Waterfront Trail is opening. But a reminder, uh, those facilities within them are still closed and social distancing still a must. Mayor Fred, thank you so much for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott, and a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're talking about yeah, getting back to school. And remember that uh, uh, obviously the kids here are out till the end of the month. But in Quebec, they were talking about putting them uh, back to school earlier. Uh, that raised a lot of uh, comments and such. Uh, that being said, uh, a new poll out from Abacus is saying, eh, I'm not sure about this from the parents' point of view. Let's bring in Tim Powers, political commentator, managing director of Abacus Data and vice chairman of Summa Strategies. He is with us now. Tim, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Before we get started into this, uh, your thoughts on the comment of Elizabeth May saying the oil industry is dead. How is this resonating in Ottawa? Speaking of sports, you're putting up a softball for me to whack. Um, being from <laughs> Newfoundland and Labrador, um, I, I hey, are you start. waiting for the next ship? Are you wait a sec? Are you waiting for the next ship to come in from the Panama Canal, bringing you some nice Alberta energy? <laughs> what the hell is that, Tim? We, we're not building a pipeline, so instead we're going to send ships down the Panama Canal and up the other side to deliver oil from east to west. That's brilliant. The Irvings know where they can find a good deal, Scott, to get their oil produced uh, or their oil refined. Uh, it's cheap. But Elizabeth, mate, look, ah, that that comment of hers and Mr. Blanchett's were, were just a annoying, politically opportune, and don't reflect a modern reality of people in a number of provinces, mine included, Alberta, the one we talk about most often, Saskatchewan, elsewhere. It's not realistic, Uh, period. Well, yeah, look, and she used this dumb, and I like Elizabeth, but she sometimes she goes way out there, and she used this dumb analogy, again, which I know pretty well. She said, oh, well, you know, the cod fishery, government shut the cod fishery down, and uh, people dealt with that. Well, actually, Elizabeth, people shut the cod fishery down because they overfished it. The government had no choice. The oil industry, as the prime minister himself said, still had, he said this in 2017, but it'd still be pretty accurate, 173 billion, billion barrels of oil under the ground or continental shelf here in Canada. And people still need oil. Doesn't mean you can't transition. Easy for her to say as somebody who's elected in Vancouver or Vancouver Island to the people of Alberta, where she has no seats, the people of Newfoundland and Labrador, where she has no seats. I'll stop now because I could spend all Saturday in a park ranting about this. I just think it sets back the movement. Like uh, to me, it sounds old school. It sounds archaic. It sounds like something like a hippie would say. Yeah, and this is where Elizabeth gets herself in trouble, right? I mean, she can generally be a likable person, and green parties in other jurisdictions are serious political entities. But when you say things like that, I mean, there are conservatives who value some of the green party orthodoxy in uh, in Europe and elsewhere, and they mm-hmm. hear that, and it makes it just them sound a bit wackadoo. So yeah, there's a good word for you, wackadoo. How's that? That, that describes it perfectly, actually, Tim. All right, let's get to this uh, Abacus uh, poll. And, and, you know, pretty evenly split. Uh, are you into it? I'm not sure. I mean, uh, we're talking about opening up the schools and, and obviously Quebec jumping the gun a bit, then walking them back. Uh, your poll saying that people, parents aren't necessarily all in with sending the kids back right now. 
Well, and, and it varies, right? So the, 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 the big number, so 517 Canadian parents were, uh, were polled um, probably before 5 o'clock when they had a drink, because if they had a drink, they might have said 100% all the kids should go back to school after spending the day <laughs> with some teasing, of course. But uh, they came back on a, an, from a national perspective, and, and 35% said uh, they were unlikely or certainly not inclined to send their parent, their kids back to school, whereas 44% said certain to or likely to. The big, uh, the big obvious in the poll was those numbers got bigger for not wanting to send the kids back. Uh, when you looked at Ontario and Quebec, so 40% of uh, Quebec parents, 39% of Ontario parents were not for this. And of course, those are uh, the regions in the country where the pandemic has been most pronounced. Uh, and uh, when the pandemic is most pronounced, that influenced the way you uh, looked at the poll, uh, looked at the result. Surprised by this, because again, some are even saying with retail opening up that maybe the customers just aren't ready to go yet. I'm not surprised by this because there's a difference between going to a curbside and and picking up your spring flowers and sending your loved one to school. Um, The risk is much in the minds of parents, right? Much, much higher and legitimately. So this is, if you ask somebody would, an interesting question would be if your parents are ill, if there's somebody elderly you love, would you send them to a, a senior's care home now, I suspect you'd get even more Mm. pronounced results that you wouldn't. So school is personal. It's your child. Uh, It's a real tough choice you have to make. Uh, And you don't know what other parents are doing. The measures of school will be in place. Too many variables there, I think. uh, And those variables make, um, you know, over a third of Canadian parents very uh, anxious. Tim Powers has been with us, Managing Director at Abacus Data and Vice Chairman of Summa Strategies. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well, and next time we're going to talk about virtual rugby. Virtual rugby and no hate <laughs> on anybody in the park this weekend, Scott, okay? Oh, thank you, Tim. You take care. <laughs> take care. Bye. Let's bring in Dr. Bart Harvey, Associate Medical Officer of Health for the City, with us now. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, Doctor. Much appreciated. Hope you're doing well. I am, and I hope you are, Scott. It's great to talk with you again. So a lot of people concerned, and I'm sure you're going to get the next, uh, the same questions next weekend as a long weekend rolls around, but with Mother's Day coming, uh, it's pretty much status quo, isn't it, Bart? What do we do here? We be as careful and cautious as we can, and we think about ourselves, but we think about others, especially our loved ones, especially our mothers. So, you know, I, I to tell you the truth, um, because I'll go back one holiday. We had Easter weekend that we uh, we dealt mm-hmm. with too, Scott. And kind of my impression, and uh, you know, I don't think I was misled, but my impression was I, I think I think folks did well with Easter weekend and kind of heeded the notion of um, and and I always knew you had a very astute listenership, and now I have evidence to that point. So I, I now going forward, uh, it'll be two meters or seven feet that I'm going to use from now on. <laughs> there I've you go. Just, just round it I'm, up. Uh, yeah, I'm going to round it up because for all the reasons that you alluded to. So I, I think, you know, the notion is certainly close family that we're already in regular contact with. Um, we stay in contact with them. Um, you know, Mothers, by definition, are older than than we are. So, um, and we know that kind of, you know, older folks, 
if they, you know, the challenge of taking on this virus assumes that your your health and well-being is in good shape so that you can fight off this virus. So, you know, you don't want to run the risk that, um, you know, if your mother, you're, you know, on Sunday shouldn't be the day that your mother is being exposed to a whole bunch of people that she hasn't been exposed to over the last, you know, four, six, eight weeks. And, you know, um, doctor, I think you bring up I think you bring up a valid point here, doctor, in, in the sense that you said if you are already in contact with your mother, then that's fine as part of your uh, family situation. But if you have not been in contact with your mother, this is not the time to do it. Is that accurate? Yeah, because we're, you know, I mean, the, so, you know, the family where son or daughter and his or her family and, and mom is living with them and has been living with them all the way through, sure. they're, they're already all exposed to one another. Now, the extra pressure on all of those family members is when you go out, you need to be really careful about, you know, your, your two meters or seven feet because you don't want to get infected and then come home and run the risk of infecting your mother or your grandmother. So there's that added pressure there. The people who we've been in regular contact with, like we're already in regular contact. You're hoping that all those people are being really safe because we're coming together on a regular basis. But, you know, no big family gatherings. I mean, do it by Zoom. Um, and we just need to, you know, we're, we're seeing the positive effects of everybody's great efforts of, um, of physical distancing and limiting interactions. You know, as, as I think I mentioned to you the first time, we, for me, job one is how do we reduce, ideally eliminate the transmission of this virus? And again, the virus isn't an Olympian. It can't jump more than seven feet or more than two meters. So if you're outside of that, you could have a lovely conversation with somebody who you know is infected. The virus can't get there, but you don't want to get that close. So I think for Mother's Day, give her a phone call, do some FaceTiming, get on Zoom, um, you know, so, but, but this shouldn't be, this, this shouldn't be, and next week shouldn't be an opportunity for us to give the virus lots of extra opportunities to uh, find a whole bunch more susceptible hosts and, and infect them. Let's keep doing what we're, we're doing, and we're going to, you know, we're going to see some relaxation on abilities to get out and use some of the spaces. But again, it's under the same premise, like don't congregate together, maintain that seven foot safety zone, that two meter safety zone so that we can continue to decrease the risk of the virus being transmitted. Uh, we were talking to Mayor Fred Eisenberger earlier. He was talking about, of course, the opening of the Waterfront Trail and uh, the parks, although the facilities within the parks are still closed. That's, as you mentioned, those guidelines still in place. However, you are now free to roam through them. How concerned are you of that moving forward? I'm not. I mean, I, I trust people that they understand uh, what's being asked of them, why it's being asked of them. I mean, it's quite clear that it's happening um, one of the town halls, which is probably six or eight weeks ago, uh, when I was, uh, when I was playing, when the understudy got called in, um, I remember Mike Fortune asked me the question. So, so if you're a close contact of a case and you're in self-isolation, can you go out for a walk? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Like physical activity and mental health and fresh air are all important things, but Stay away from other people. Maintain that seven-foot safety zone. Protect your own and respect others. So, yeah, go for a walk. Don't go for a walk with 20 people that you've never interacted with. 
stay clear of other people, you know, enjoy that walk and then, you know, get back home. So, Scott, I have to trust that people kind of understand what's being asked of them and when they go out and enjoy the waterfront trail or the parks or that, that they're going to continue to be cognizant of, you know, staying safe distances, the, you know, the, the um, physical distancing to make it much more difficult for this virus to spread from one person to another. Dr. Bart Harvey has been with his Associate Medical Officer of Health for the City. Uh, doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight as always, and please pass along our thanks and, uh, and appreciation for everybody that's working so hard to keep us all safe here. And have yourself a safe weekend, too. Be well. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.